This episode is brought to you by Simon Sinek and his inspirational quote, We don't build trust by offering help. We build trust by asking for it because it's a vulnerable thing to ask for help. Welcome to the Stefan Dyer Podcast, my people. Hello, my people! ¿Cómo están, damas y caballeros? Welcome to the Stefan Dyer Podcast, where I welcome people with remarkable stories for amazingly vulnerable conversations. I am Stefan Dyer, former banker turned comedian and lifestyle entrepreneur, and this episode with uh, myself, I think, <laughs> is remarkable, ladies and gentlemen. This is a special episode, an in-between-isode, where my good friend Isabela Anes who was also on this podcast previously, is actually interviewing me for her podcast, the ISA Journal. Go listen to it on Spotify everywhere. I-S-A, like Isa, like Isabela, Anes, the ISA Journal. She's interviewing me about my life. So I just wanted to give you a short intro. She's going to ask me all kinds of questions. I'm sharing things that I've I've never shared. And it means a lot that you would listen. I, I really want I really want to encourage you to go to the to the Isabella to the Isabella episode because it's just wonderful. Episode forty nine, Isabella Anes, a lifetime of basketball dreams and defying the odds. Man, since that podcast, which uh, went out in January, Isabella broke her knee again. I'm not going to tell you much about the episode because I want you to go. And she's overcome that again. She's a warrior. She is somebody to admire. She's somebody to look up to. So it's an absolute honor that she would be interested in interviewing me. And I want to thank her publicly for allowing the content that was supposed to go to, that is going to her podcast to also go on my podcast to share with my audience as well. If you like this episode... Obviously, go please follow the ISA Journal and share it. Share it. Tag Isabella on Instagram, Isabella underscore Anes. And uh, tag me on Instagram. Share it. Screenshot the episode. Anything and everything always helps my friends. So, let's get this started in three, two, one. In the short time that I have known him, he has pushed me outside of my comfort zone. He has brought brought in my perspective in life and in work, at what means to build a fulfilling career. And he has inspired me to dream big. I know it's kind of uncomfortable now that I'm saying all of this. I want to see your face with with all of this. Um, but yeah, he 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 has shown me not to be afraid to to follow what my heart is telling me. Right. So I am not trying to be cringy again. But this is just the truth. And actually, I don't know if you know this, Stefan, but um, it is because of you that I said, you know what? It's time for me to start this podcast. I felt the calling, but after the interview that we had, I said, it is it is time for me to just get out of that comfort zone and, and try it out. So yes, with further ado, I am joined by, without further ado, sorry, by Stefan Dyer. So Stefan, welcome to the ISA Journal. 
Thank you. This is the first episode. I'm a I'm a guest in the in my studio. We're recording your podcast. It's an honor. It was an honor to have you, and uh, I'm excited to be interviewed by someone who I truly respect as well. It means a lot that I've had a positive impact. I told you when. I mean, I don't believe in God, but if there is a God, <laughs> your mom being at that meeting, networking meeting that we had, and she obviously talking about you as proud as she is always about you. And I'm like, okay, like a lot of moms are proud about their daughters, etc. She plays basketball. Okay, cool. A lot Here of people. we go again. Here we go again. <laughs> and then like she showed me a video of yours. Yeah. And uh, when you said like LeBron, something along the lines of like more than a basketball player, more than an athlete. I'm like, how the, how old is this girl? How old is she? Like 19, 20. I'm like, what? Yeah. She's decades ahead of the game. And I'm like, I need to meet this girl. Obviously I saw your, your, your video on your Instagram of the decision and all these things. And, and I was like, yeah, she's going places and she's got it down. Like people 60 years old don't get this. Mm. So we have a million things in common apart from leaving our homes at age 15 to pursue better things in North America, the a ACL tears, yeah. the, the sports, uh, the sacrifice that we've had to do to come this way. Uh, the determination, the growth mindset. So very, very honored to be on your show. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and honestly, you have built like a lot reinforcing those little things. You have made me realize of things that I hadn't realized yeah. at the moment, which is, is great. And I just, I go back every time I think about things like that, I go back to the importance of community, of surrounding yourself yeah. with people that, that think alike and that build you up. So truly appreciate that. Stefan, honestly, so just to start things off, how, how have you been? Deeply loved by Venezuelans right now, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah one of my videos went went viral. One of my comedy videos went viral about Venezuelans. I, I've been thinking a lot about that. I mean... Porque somos arrechos. Porque somos arrechos, exactamente. <laughs> I've been thinking about... I've been, I've been doing well. I've been just... The past three years have been a, a roller coaster because I became a dad... I got I got married. I became a dad. Ooh. We got this place. <laughs> then, just when we thought we were taking off with the business, the pandemic hit. But I like I always like to joke around that like me and Huang, my business partner, we we quit the bank five years ago. Then we we joke around that we kind of picked to go into a pandemic before the pandemic, you know, because Ooh. our because <laughs> our incomes went down yeah. like ninety percent, and and. Uh, we just were going against the current in many ways. So when the pandemic hit, it was really cool to see that where people's self-worth, a lot of people's self-worth were derived from their jobs mm -hmm. and like bank a lot because it happened to me. My identity was being a banker at times. My identity was being a soccer player at, in high school at times. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people's identities being a lawyer or being in marketing or yeah. So once that got taken away, who who are you in your home Anymore, when yeah. you're just not going to work or you're working from home? Mm -hmm. And you got to take a deep look in the mirror and be like, fuck, I I. I left all these other areas of my life. I forgot about them throughout these years. Mm -hmm. And now I have to look at myself in the mirror and be like, wow, man, my life was my job. Yeah. 
my spirituality isn't here, I'm overweight, I don't like how I feel, my mental health is not good, I don't talk to my family, I never see my family, I never see my friends. So it was a really good opportunity to reset and and uh, ref- I mean for the people who were able to, you know. Yeah. And uh those who didn't have I think everybody grew from it anyways. Absolutely. So coming out of it, I I, <laughs> I like to say that because I've moved around a lot and I've had to I went to boarding school when I was 15 in many ways like you to Yeah, yeah, to we'll study. talk to that in a moment. So I like to think that I I'm preventing the crisis before they happen. Mm. So I was like, since day one of the pandemic, I was getting ready for when the pandemic was over, even if it was five years of it. Yeah. And now we're just kind of reaping the rewards of that and starting to travel again, starting to doing shows again. We have a more established like corporate and training, training and development business that we do through, through humor. So life's good. Now, uh, for the past four months, I've been to Texas for work, mm. L.A. to the Netflix is a joke comedy show for fun with my brother. Then we went to our Tampa to see my dad with my wife and son. And we just came back from Vancouver for, for fun. And I did a show there, too. Oh, my. It sounds like a lot what I want to do in the future. Just <laughs> travel and get to experience different things. So that, good for you, man. Honestly, that's amazing. So, yeah, I, I guess, like, you share a little bit of your story. But I want to tap into it kind of in order. Because, yeah. as you said, there's a lot that we can relate on. Uh, and there's a lot that I still don't know. So I want to take Love that, it. Let's, let's that get into opportunity it. to do that. So... Um, yeah, so let's start, like, you were born and raised in Costa Rica, so let's just go from Costa Rica to here to Canada. So, how did that happen? Born from Peruvian parents. So, yeah, just take me through that journey, like, childhood, early, early life. Yeah, so my, both my parents are Peruvian, my brothers are Peruvian, and in, like, 1983 or something, or 81, they moved to Costa Rica, Okay. And uh, for work reasons, there was a, Peru wasn't a good Lima was having a lot of terrorism back in the 80s as well. And a lot of Peruvians, similar to Venezuelans these days, were moving out in the thousands, mm. in the hundreds of thousands, maybe in, in the 80s, because there was terrorism, bombs yeah. going off in, in Lima. And my, a lot of Peruvians ended up in Costa Rica. My brothers were five and seven when they moved. So seven, seven yeah, eighty eighty three. In eighty seven, I was born, and I was I always identified as Costa Rican, but it it was always like not quite Costa Rican because my because my home was Peruvian, mm-hmm. you know. So Your food, that, everything, everything, ex- exactly, everything was Peruvian. In fact, all all our family friends. I grew up with sons of Peruvians. Like my oh, friends okay. were were sons and daughters, the kids of my Peruvians' parent, my my parents' friends who mm-hmm. were Peruvians. Yeah. So I kind of grew up in that environment, not doing a lot of Costa Rican things, mm-hmm. but more like Peruvians and Costa Rican things. <laughs> and then, <laughs> so when I was eight, when I was six, my my parents divorced, and my dad moved to El Salvador. Where he remarried and he had my sisters, who are now like when you when you have little sisters, you forget when, how, how old, old they are. They are. <laughs> but they were born in ninety five and uh, two thousand one. Uh, that's twenty seven. And yeah, twenty seven. Twenty seven. Twenty one. 
my yeah, my sister's gonna turn twenty seven June thirty. Yeah. And my other sister's gonna turn twenty one yeah. on November nineteenth. Oh good. So that that was when my, my life changed significantly because now my dad moved mm-hmm. and we were three boys with my mom in Costa Rica and I started traveling a lot to El Salvador. Okay. Like, pretty I think it was like every month, every couple months. It was like $150 a ticket, one hour. And mm-hmm. my dad would, would bring me like there. And my, my stepmom has like five brothers. And they all have two or three kids my age. So it was like uh, Costa Rica at that time for me and my family. It wasn't really, as I like to call it, like a healthy environment. My my brothers were partying a lot. Yeah. My my mom was in the best, wasn't in the best uh, place. And then my dad in El Salvador was was with my stepmom who had a big family. Yeah. And all the the brothers had kids my age. Mm-hmm. So for the first time, I felt like I had a family. Yeah. Because in Costa Rica, it was just us. Yeah. All my family's in Peru, like my my yeah, my immediate, yeah, yeah, and the Garcia Pachecos. So in El Salvador, it was like, wow, this is what it feels like to have a family. Mm-hmm. So I would go every month, every two months, every three months. And they had a house on the beach. Like 40 minutes away from San Salvador, the capital is called La Costa del Sol. So there we used to go and my stepmom's dad, so so my grandfather, mm-hmm. he he was an alcoholic. So he didn't drink alcohol okay. and nobody in the house in the extended family drank okay. alcohol because because they didn't want to like yeah. have alcohol and in, in, in front of him. And, and my brother didn't drink alcohol either. But he was a professional soccer player when he was young. He played for the Salvadorian national team. And the brothers, so my stepmom's sisters, were all incredible athletes, soccer players, basketball players, marathon runners to this day. So everything was a competition on the house on the beach. Everything. We played basketball, soccer, running, dominoes, volleyball, (laughs) connect four, poker, everything you can imagine. Chess. So I had a big family there. I felt like I was a kid. And I have a competitive nature as well. And my life has been sports. I love sports as yeah. well. So it was like the perfect thing mm-hmm. for me. And I, I went back and forth for, for four years going to visit my dad. And then when, when I was like nine, ten, mm-hmm. I decided, which was the hardest decision of my life, that I wanted to move with my dad. So yeah. I, I told my mom that I wanted to move with my dad to El Salvador. Oh, wow. Oh, I want to pause there because it, it's just intriguing to see how... Right now, I, I bet you're able to gain our perspective of, oh, that was a very healthy environment, and I am who I am today because of those things, because of the, na- the competition that I was surrounded with. Yeah. That's what drove my my competition today, my my drive today. Like, ambition. Of, yeah. yeah, your ambition and all of that. So were you aware of that at that point, or you just felt like I, I felt more comfortable and I just wanted to move? No, no. It just, it just felt right. Also... Um, my brothers were doing their own thing. They yeah. they had nine and eleven years older than me. So when I was six, oh. they were already eighteen, or when I was eight, they were already moved out. Yeah, uh, and it was like me and my mom. Yeah, it felt very lonely. 
my my mom was going through. Th- I mean, she's an incredible mom. She's yeah. an incredible person. She's a uh, grow uh, a uh, relationships coach. She's been like my psychologist for the longest time. <laughs> she's really funny. She's got like the greatest emotional intelligence. But at the time, mm-hmm. it just didn't feel like it was a place for for me. Yeah. It, but th- it's been the toughest moment of my life to tell my mom. Yeah. That I want to move out. Mm-hmm. And my dad, compared to my mom, especially in a Latino environment where women back in the 50s and 60s were not encouraged to study. Mm-hmm. So my mom is an artist. Yeah. She's a painter, but she didn't, uh, she studied, but she, it's not like in Costa Rica, you could, I mean, she had a successful career, but it's not like women back in those days had careers like like now they do yeah so my dad had a better financial situation than my mom mm-hmm. and the melados the family are are very educated they all have masters and phds they're very ambitious they're very they're very um healthy all mm-hmm. sports and everything yeah. and i just felt at that time that it was the right decision for me, for my future, for my education, for my mental health. Mm-hmm. And I decided to, to take that step. And I think that from that moment, which is what I told you, mm-hmm. that I, even from age six and age 10, especially when I moved, I became a grown up. Yeah. I, I was decades. Yeah. Years ahead of everybody my age. Yeah. For the, I mean, it's sometimes sad that that kids have to grow up that quick. Yeah. But sometimes when you're striving for greatness, or sometimes when you're when you're just trying to survive, trauma, emotional trauma, like moving countries, mm-hmm. leaving your brothers and your your mother in another country, and you you got to make that executive decision at age nine or ten. It's it's a big it's a big deal. It's huge. And and that is what's allowed me to just excel in everything that I've done for the rest of my life. So age 10 I moved to El Salvador. My dad was starting to get really successful in the fertilizer industry, so he worked for a Swiss fertilizer company and they decided that it was better for the family to move to Mexico. Okay. For for the business for for where he worked at, because that was like the hub for Latin America. He was the vice president for Latin America for that company. So we moved to Mexico at age fourteen, okay. and, and then so that second moving already. That second moving, yeah. and I went to an American school where basically there was a lot of expats and a lot of people who were moving around and everything, just like me. Mm-hmm. So it was my second country or my mm-hmm. third country. And very other kids were having the same experience yeah. in that school. And I, I, I was always really good in school. I was always very responsible. Mm-hmm. Like a, a high sense of responsibility. I still have nightmares today of not handing in a homework. No like I, I'll, I'll, I'll dream about, oh my God, I didn't do the homework this morning. What are they going to say? I didn't study for this exam. What's going to happen? Like I still, and that's high sense of integrity yeah. and accountability. Mm-hmm. It's... It's what's made me and my consistency and discipline. It's what what's made me who I am, which is one of my biggest assets and strengths. Yeah. 14 to Mexico. And when I was in Mexico, there was a school counselor who was Canadian, Quebecois. 
And the guy was a, a soccer ref in Quebec on the side when he lived in Quebec. And he ended up moving to Mexico and was the, the school counselor at this at my school. There was one thing in Mexico, I don't know why, but in like 8th grade or ninth grade or 10th grade, there was like, um, it was like trendy or like, estaba como de moda, that you would send your kid to a year abroad. Okay. So some of these kids, they, they went to Switzerland, to France, to the States, to mm -hmm. Canada, just to perfect their English or to learn French. And my stepmom had lived in Europe for many years. Okay. She's in Paris and in, 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 in Sweden and in Greece. So she spoke, she speaks French. Mm -hmm. And she was like, let's send Stefan, me, my, my, my dad and my stepmom, let's send Stefan to a boarding school in Quebec that this guy recommended. Okay. So he, he had refed at my school, which is two hours away from Montreal. Yeah. And he was like, this is the most beautiful campus, great school, small, 250 students, 7th grade to 12th grade, uh, boarding Yeah. Really good education, so put a good picture for you. <laughs> yeah, and I was a really—I've always been a really good student, like top of my class, mm -hmm. and I was a really good soccer player. So we applied for a scholarship because it was too expensive. Yeah, and at the time, uh, I got a twenty-five percent scholarship. Okay, which it was viewed as a big. I was. It was like my house. My, it was like a failure that I didn't get a full scholarship. But, but then we found out that this was the biggest scholarship that they that they gave for international students. They don't give full scholarships. Okay. I did. I did well in the in the in the exams, the, mm -hmm. the math, the English, and the other one. So I, I don't remember. And I had like I was doing really well in in soccer. I was playing for Club America in like the little leagues, and I was about to get sent to the. To the Fuerzas Básicas, to Guapa, yeah. which is like where, where the, where the per people who are likely to go to first division train. Okay. So that happened. They gave me the scholarship, and my dad and my stepmom did like a big financial effort to be able to Afford. send me to mm -hmm. Quebec in tenth grade, and I got the award for best new student. At, at BCS, the school, I got the MVP for rugby. I got well, my best friend Charlie, who was my roommate, who's still one of my best friends, got MVP that year because I, I was in senior soccer, but my age was junior. Yeah. So I played senior and I and and I did really well. So I I was like uh, the first year, and I got I got a bunch of other awards, and I was like, well, it was only a year. Thank you, everybody. This was incredible. But then. The school was like, you can't go now. You yeah. can't leave. And they did a finish. significant effort. They gave me financial assistance, like a lot, uh, a lot of help to be able to pay, not like the lump sum, but like in, in for my dad to be able to pay mm -hmm. in separate installments. And then they gave me further financial assistance for the third year. So I ended up graduating from oh, Bishop's awesome. College School in Quebec. And it's still like one of the best experiences I've had in my life. Then I came to U of T for commerce and finance in 2006. Oh, dang. How, how did that transition happen? Like, how do you end up U of T? You just applied to universities well, or how well, this did that is, happen? I always tell this story, but well, my, my dad is always, is, is, is very competitive too and like a, a winning mindset. Yeah. He always instilled in me like two things that, that everybody sees in me these days where, 
he told me like, don't worry about the results, just give your effort, mm-hmm. which is pretty much growth mindset in a different way. Yeah, in a different different words. Yeah, and I I had like a lot of trouble grasping that, but I ended up like living it, and I still do these days because I was so frustrated. Like, man, it frustrated me so much that I could give my like I could train all year and I would never be Ronaldinho, you know? Yeah. Which is like a uh, a fixed mindset type of thinking. Mm-hmm. And he also helped me believe growing up since I moved to El Salvador and everything, even before, that I could that I can accomplish in outstanding things, extraordinary yeah. things. Like since a young age, he was like, you could go to Harvard, you could go to Stanford, Yale, uh, all these uh, like Berkeley, all these incredible universities. So I, it was so distant for me, you know, but I, that was the goal. That was the goal. And people from my university, from my high school had gone to a lot of Ivy League universities. Yeah. But I ended up getting like, I don't know, like 86, 88 grades, 90s. But when I did the SAT, I just studied by myself every once in a while and everything. And <laughs> I remember this hell. I, I hate it. <laughs> I remember I got like an 83 percentile in math, but like a 51 in English, English or comprehension yeah. or whatever. And I was doing everything this, this whole thing by myself, you know, mm-hmm. and trying to juggle the soccer, the extracurriculars, the school. And I remember my dad flew in my, my uh, 12th grade. Yeah. In September of 2005. Yeah. And, and we spoke to this lady called Ilo Makar, which was the university advisor. And, and I remember she, she broke the news. She's like, doesn't have the grades or the SAT. <laughs> <laughs> and I was devastated, you know, oh, yeah. like devastated because I felt like I had let my dad down. I felt like I wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. I felt like this whole time I had worked for this. And then again, when you look backwards, you're like, you were deriving your self-worth from achieving. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you're a better or bad person, a, a better or worse person if you don't make it to Harvard, mm-hmm. but it's who you become in the process. Mm-hmm. So... I ended up applying to Canadian schools and some in England and I, and I got in and U of T was a good school and everything. So I, I, I said U of T okay. But at the time getting into U of T was, it felt to me like the biggest failure in my life. Ironically, then I found out it's like a top 20 school in the world. In the world yeah, that's what I'm <laughs> but it's like, all perspective. It's all perspective. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's all, it all comes to perspective. And, yeah. And well, just listening how you build up like in this competitive environment, it's like, I want to, I have to be the best of the best. And and we have like, we have spoken about this. I, I was also driven. I got to play division one because that's the elite of the elite. Yeah. But I didn't, I hadn't realized, as you said, it's, it's not what you accomplish. You can, you can graduate from, from Yale and be an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's rather who you become in that process and how much you, how much you make out of the opportunities that you have. Cause opportunities are there. That's the other thing. Are you able to see them? Yeah. Are you able to see those? Cause at the end of the day, you were getting a, a good education going to UFT. You were staying here in Canada. I don't know if you had realized at the moment. Like you are also setting yourself up as to uh, for us as immigrants, it's important is important to think about what we're gonna do after to get yeah, papers, huge, and all of that. So, uh, like all of that was encompassed in that opportunity. It's just perspective. You're not able to focus on Eresia because you are focused on the title, not ra- not on the on the actual opportunity. Okay, what is this actually giving me? Which is exactly is huge. 
Okay, so we get to U of T, and how's your experience there? You, the four four years there. How would you say um, that shaped you into who you are today? Not only academically. If I had to do it again, I wouldn't do it. You wouldn't? No. Why? Because it was too big a school. It was too corporate, I would say, in in a way that. It was a big shock to me going from a small school that cared who I was and knew who I was. Mm-hmm. 20 be, people in the one. class, 15, really good relationship with the teachers. Uh, just like your school in Kansas, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a family. It's yeah. like you 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 are someone. You to, belong. To that you belong. Yeah. And I, I lived in a house with 15 friends like because there's residences like where you mm-hmm. it's a boarding school. And it, it, the school is like everybody says it's like Harry Potter. So you have, you have you have dine, you dine in the dining hall. Mm-hmm. You go to crease after, which everybody has to do sports after school mandatory, which mm-hmm. I loved. And um, and so basically, U of T, especially in first and second year, they have three campuses: Mississauga, Scarborough, mm-hmm. and, and and downtown. downtown. And it's like 55,000 people, including PhDs. So the first year, you got 400 people, 600 people in some classes. Yeah. And like, if you go to school, if you go to class, okay. If you don't go to class, okay. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Multiple choice exams. You got two exams. That's Midterm it? and final. That's it. And that so, was where your grade came from. That's it. Oh, dang. And me being a consistent person that yeah. thrives on long-term it was really hard, especially because I didn't know how to study for U of T. Mm-hmm. Then it was hard those first, um, <laughs> like those first two years, like having no commun. Oh, and also, I I had hernias in my twelfth grade of rugby. Mm-hmm. I got her- three hernias that I got surgery for August, right before first year, yeah. September. Mm-hmm. So when I went to my first year, first of all, I couldn't attend Frost Week and Orientation Week because mm-hmm. I had the hernias and I had to have that surgery. Dang, which takes you out of, of takes you out people. of everything, yeah. And it takes you out of meeting new people. Exactly, missed all the soccer tryouts. First of all, I couldn't even play soccer for six months for sports, mm-hmm. which was my identity. That's how I got friends. That's how I I I had fun. That's how I maintained fit. That's how I got girls. That everything. Yeah. And then you take that away. I'm like, who the fuck am, am I now? Yeah. So then I had to like tap into a different part of me. Yeah. And I thought it was going to be a lot of partying, but U of T is a hard school, so. Yeah. No time for partying. Plus, I didn't. I'll, none of these people were partying, anyways. So it was all school, and I'm like, I, the the thing I remember thinking this whole time was, these people have no idea how cool I am. Yeah, <laughs> these people like, are missing out on. Yeah, me. man. Like I, I have so much to give. Yeah, and I have this is like a fish out of water. My the whole time, but. I had actually felt like a fish out of water most of my life anyways. Yeah. Because in Costa Rica, I wasn't really Costa Rican. In El Salvador, I wasn't Mm -hmm. Salvadorian. In Mexico, I wasn't Mexican. Mm -hmm. So I kind of feel at home when I am a fish out of water. But I just didn't... I couldn't really grasp on really good friendships till 
I joined a fraternity in first year that really helped me out because I moved into the house and that was like a more tight community. Yeah. Then third and fourth year, I I really started to thrive in in school because I learned how to study for UFT. Basically, Mm -hmm. just do your past exams like a million times instead of studying the slides or the class or whatever. Just do past exams. Mm -hmm. I started doing a lot better in school. And then in third year or say, yeah, second, third year, I tear my ACL. So just when I finally had my best soccer year and I got recruited to, to try out for the varsity and everything, then the ACL and again, that crisis, that crisis of who am I, you know, um, how would you say you, you, you came through that? Do you have a breakthrough moment where you realize, you know, uh, this doesn't define me anymore. What was it for you? Well, the thing that I remember the most was I had to I had to shift my eating because mm-hmm. I, I would eat everything, anything, because I would just mm-hmm. be like in shape all the time. Yeah. I had to be more conscious about that. Then the other things that I remember was I I learned about myself is that I, I used to get really pissed off when when my my friends would invite me to soccer because the thing I love most, I couldn't do anymore. Yeah. And I just had to take my competitive... Because I spent five years without playing. Because mm. when I did my surgery... Yeah. I Six months later, a year later, I, I kind of relapsed. It, it, it tore mm. again. And then in 2013... I toured in 2009. In 13, I got the reconstructive. And as you know, yeah. you got to... You got to remove the ligament. Yeah. And then four months later, you got to come back and put a new put one. Put a new one, yeah. So, like, I have a cadaver one. Mm-hmm. So, I I spent five years and I'm like, this, it just felt like something was missing. Mm-hmm. And I took my competitive edge <laughs> into poker. Oh, and I just went, like, super hard on reading books and competing and, and uh I went to Vegas with with a friend and I played poker a couple of times and yeah. I had a league with a bunch of my friends. So I, the big realization was it's possible to be happy mm. without playing soccer. Yeah. And the other thing that I realized is that I just so grateful about now what I, when I play soccer, it's going to be 10 years or eight years since I've been playing Mm-hmm. With no injuries. Oh. And I could lose 23 0. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the game, I'm like, I didn't get injured. Yeah, I got to play. <laughs> I got to play. <laughs> That's what matters. Just like a deep sense of gratitude yes. about being healthy. Even at that age, 20, 21, I was like, my ultimate goal is to be able to play soccer and go skiing with my son. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm past my prime at 25 or whatever. Yeah. Probably not going to make it to Barcelona anymore. <laughs> but but I just want the the joy of being able to play with friends. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think, like, it just it just becomes a... It, it shifts... It sports shift to, like, a soccer in your case to just playing to win. Yeah. And, and you just... Now you just play to enjoy it, to have fun. You're you're able to appreciate it more, and that's beautiful. The way you describe it is, is amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like what you were mentioning, Andre Iguodala played four minutes, yet he had such an impact. Other ways, it's it's being able to recognize those other ways that that, that takes 
And you got to recognize it. Otherwise, you won't survive because you're just going to be pissed off the entire yeah, season. Absolutely. And absolutely. it's 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 inefficient mm-hmm. to be unhappy. Yeah. So pissed off people aren't going to do their best. Yeah. You can you can fuel yourself from being pissed off. That's that's okay. Mm-hmm. But when you're pissed off, you're not going to contribute to the team. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Unless you're on the floor and then you want to take all the shots and then you <laughs> Yeah. So And that's that's uh, part of realizing that that a team it's a group of people. It's not just you. Yeah. And that everybody has a role. Like I just think of a team as a body. Like I have my hands, my fingers, I have my toes, my my knees, everything. Everything has a different role. Yeah. And it's in different locations and it has different sizes, but it all contributes to my body. Right? So I wouldn't be my body without my index finger. Or even just my nail. As little as it is. Like, details matter. And I think we, we often overlook that, right? If we're not the head, if we're not eyes or the things that are mostly noticed, then we don't, we don't, we don't have value and that's not really the truth, right? So that's a huge, huge realization. So, okay, now I want to walk through, okay, you, you just finish your bachelor's, graduated from UFT. How do you feel when you graduated? And my next question attached to that is, what was next? Like, how do you know what to do? I was tremendously proud of my diplomas right there. Because, as you know, UFT is a pretty good school. But more than that, I was proud because I graduated in four years. I think <laughs> it was the only guy in my fraternity who graduated in four years. Four years, yeah. I was the only... Uh, I guess this is not, I'm not too proud, but I guess I was the first in my family to graduate from a university in North America. But, but more than that, with the support of my dad and my family, that I did it by myself. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is that a, a lot of Canadians don't get it, but there's an added pressure when you're an immigrant yeah. of, if you don't finish in four years, we don't have the money for another year. Yeah. We don't, because you're paying international student fees. Mm-hmm. We don't have the money f- for summer school. Yeah. We don't have the money f- for you fucking around and, 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 mm-hmm. and partying because mm-hmm. you wanted to have a cool experience. Mm-hmm. And and I did. I did have a good, good experience, but I didn't even party 10% of what my friends did. Yeah. Because so, I'm here on a mission. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is actually a privilege. Mm-hmm. It's not a right that I have. I have a, a big responsibility of me being here. And if I don't, this 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 ship sails. Yeah. And I, I can't get it again. Yeah. Just to the even the smaller details like food. Mm-hmm. When parents drop off food, my friends' parents would drop off food. Laundry, come, come home and uh, do laundry, or I'll do your laundry. Yeah, or I'll go home to have food. Or the, the where it became even more evident was in the networking. A lot of my friends in commerce had jobs lined up for every summer of of, of university. Yeah, and. And in fourth year, a lot of them already had master's degree lined up, jobs, investment mm-hmm. banking, and all the banks and everything. And I was one of the only ones who didn't have a job. Yeah. So, I in my first two years, again, it felt like a failure when I didn't have in the summer a summer internship at a bank because I was studying finance. Yeah. So I ended up going to my sup my, my BCS my my high school. Yeah. In Quebec and working at the summer camp. 
Oh, okay. Which was the two best summers of my life. That's awesome. Because I was dealing with people. And that's when you connect the dots backward, like Steve Jobs says. Mm -hmm. You can only connect the dots looking backwards. Yeah. And trust that they'll connect. Because then I'm like, why? Now I think of it. Not not then, but why, why was this so the best summer of my life? Mm-hmm. I was organizing sports activities. I was dealing with a lot of people. I love dealing with people. Yeah. I was like uh, doing little performances for the kids. I was laughing all the time. I was hanging out with the teachers that, that had been my teachers. I was, I felt like I belonged. Mm-hmm. I could run in the mornings. I could play soccer in the afternoons with all the students, the summer school students. So even, but it still felt like a failure because I wasn't able to get a summer internship. Yeah. And I was applying, applying, applying. Third year, thanks to an alumni of my high school, mm-hmm. I got an internship at a bank here called CIBC. Fourth year, I I had a I didn't have a job when I graduated. Yeah, which was a lot of stress for an international student because if you don't get a job, you can't stay. Yeah, I mean you can get a work permit, so you could stay. Yeah, but you can't stay after those three years. Those three years, yeah. I, and back in the day, it used to be one year. But, like, the year I graduated, they extended it to three years. Okay. But you needed to have a year of work full-time yeah. to mm-hmm. be able to get the permanent residence. Yeah. And it can't just be anything. It needs to be kind of related to your field of study. Absolutely. So, it was very stressful. I had a girlfriend back in the day. In, uh, she's from Mexico. and from Tama- She was, yeah, from Tamaulipas. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, well, I'm just going to go... To Tamaulipas, it was long distance, so I went to Tamaulipas. Yeah, and I and I was like, I, I'll try to get a job here. I went to like a local Scotia Bank there because I had a contact here at Scotia Bank who had a friend there. Yeah, and I went to an interview, and the guy was like, "Bro, you don't want to work here." But <laughs> he's like, "Save, save yourself while you can." Yeah. But in my books, it was like, man, if I work at Scotia Bank in like. Mexico, yeah. even if it's like a small town in the north, it's still international experience, you know? Yeah. And it, I could use it for Scotiabank Toronto later. Yeah. So, uh, but the guy was like, you don't, you, you it's just a waste of talent yeah. and knowledge you working here in this branch in the middle of like Tampico. No <laughs> so, m- weeks later, I get an email from Scotiabank. Because I had applied to a billion jobs. Mm-hmm. Thanks to my Spanish and my finance degree, I got an internship in 2010. They were paying us like minimum wage. Like I think less than minimum wage. And like a two-year contract. Okay. Six of us. Was it here? Here, here in Toronto. Okay. So that was like a big success. Like an internship, everything. And, and uh, the six of them pretty much had plans Mm-hmm. after the two months but they didn't know what to do with me because <laughs> yeah. i didn't have a plan so they kind of extended me like five times every like month by month they would extend me until after eight months of me doing ironically all the things that the canadians didn't want to do <laughs> like yeah like organizing the summer events and the potlucks and volunteering and getting super involved meeting everybody i printed the organizational chart mm-hmm. and was like highlighting every person on the floor that i met and i would express that i wanted to stay that i wanted to get a job yeah and and after eight months they gave me a manager position mm. i didn't have anybody under like my role but ma- manager was still yeah very impressive at age 23 at that time so 
that's when my real career at Scotiabank started. And three, four years later, I became a senior manager in wealth management. Mm. And that led me to three years being there mm. until 2017 when I did the jump. Oh, and you did the jump. <laughs> that's what we're going to dig into right away. But uh, before like we dig into that, I, I just wanted to say like, As you, as you just mentioned, you connect the dots backwards. I think a lot of the traits that you just pointed out there, like you doing that extra thing that Canadians wouldn't do, comes from not only your upbringing, yeah. but like the environments that you were able to, and the experience that you were able to be part of. Um, it's just like you can see there that you had the desire of saying, I'm going to do what it takes and even beyond. And, 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 and I just think... It just connects right now, like looking back into it. Um, I'm willing to do this because I've lived this, even though at the moment you might not realize, you know, where I'm, where I'm getting like a Absolutely. comedian wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily appreciate or see that because, okay, I mean, they don't work as coaches, but they can find a job elsewhere. They're yeah. not against clock. They don't have all of yeah. these things. They don't have to compete for anything. So. It, it just, it shows a lot how our experiences, we might not understand it right now, but in the long run, everything connects and it, and it does, it does, if we make the most out of each experience that we get, it makes us a better person in the long run, right? So, and add to that, yeah, the emotional baggage of missing out on your family's life mm -hmm. back home, like my nieces are still growing up, whether I'm there or not, you know? Yeah. And me being here or me not sharing time with my mom or with my dad yeah. or my brothers, it, 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 it takes a toll on you because you were the one who left. I was the one who mm -hmm. left. Obviously, for better, and I'm, and I'm proud of everything I've accomplished and, and I'm grateful for my journey. Otherwise, <laughs> I wouldn't have found my wife and Liam wouldn't exist, you know? Yeah. But what I'm trying to get at is... It's, it's, um, something that I realized is that I spent probably a good 15 years mm -hmm. from 2003 that I came until 2018 or whatever that I quit, 1718, where my mission was to get the Canadian passport mm -hmm. so that I could go back and have a really cool plan and I could come back to Canada. Yeah. But that, those 15 years, me thinking about going back and thinking about Costa Rica means that your mind is there as mm -hmm. a, a lot. So basically, I would, any vacation, I would go to Costa Rica yeah. or I would go to Peru see my mom or, or Florida to see my dad. But Costa Rica is where my brothers are. I would go there to party. I would go to, to do shows. I would go at, and, and then, This whole time, I'm thinking about as soon as I get the passport, I'm going to go back. Mm -hmm. I open Facebook, it's all Costa Rica. I open Instagram, it's all Costa Rica. Yeah. 15 years go by, and I wasn't really present in Canada. Mm -hmm. You know? I didn't need double down on, on Canada. Mm -hmm. So because I was there, I wasn't here. Yeah. And then I realized I know nothing about Canada. I, I don't know <laughs> anything except Toronto and Montreal yeah. and Ottawa. I've never visited. So last year for my birthday, I decided I'm going to go to Halifax and get to know Canada. Canada, yeah. For my birthday and spend a vacation in Canada. Because mm -hmm. 
it's uh it's it's a dangerous slippery slope for immigrants and newcomers yeah where you don't adapt because you're here but you're not here yeah and i'm not saying that you have to close the door and never talk about venezuela or costa rica again but i'm saying that you have to do a conscious effort in being here in being here and adapting and, a, to the and adapting to the culture without without losing your losing authenticity your, yeah yeah who you sure. are Because that's part of, for me, yeah. that's part of Canadian culture. Canadian culture is, if you think about it, yeah, I mean, maple leaves in, and maple syrup <laughs> and all that, and poutine, but it, 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 part of the culture is the, the diversity that they have. Yeah. Being able to, you know, come here and feeling like you're a person, you're not just a number. Like, well, we're not going to get too much into racism or anything, but it, I just feel like in the States, you're more prone to that. To, to be feeling outside the box. Whereas here, it's, it's easier to, I would say, in cultural wise to, to belong. But yeah, yeah, that's, that's very important. The way you put it, I was here, but not here. I hadn't thought about it like that. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's huge. And it, a lot of us don't even realize it because this whole time you're in survival mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. So all you're thinking is, I just gotta make it to the next year. I just mm -hmm. get my, gotta get my papers. I just gotta graduate. I just gotta do this. But finally, once I, I, I mean, it was this past year, really, in uh, in yeah. October, my birthday in Halifax, Dang. where I had one of my biggest crises I've ever had emotionally, mentally. Yeah. Where I, I I started to go to therapy with a psychologist and everything, and one of the one of the um, hypotheses was that my whole life. I've been in survival mode. Mm -hmm. So six years old, my parents divorced, my dad moves. Yeah. Now I got to survive this 10 years old. I got to survive moving to El Salvador. I got to adapt 14 Mexico, 15 Montreal uh, or Quebec. Then, then I got to do good. I got to do good in school. I got to do good in soccer university. I got to graduate because otherwise I can't stay yeah. work permit. I got to get a job. I get the job. I got to like thrive in this one yeah pr then manager that's a new challenge and senior manager that's another challenge then quitting yeah then that's the biggest challenge because now i gotta put food on the table yeah. if i want to actually get married and get a house and eventually be a dad mm -hmm. and then last summer mm -hmm. around july august september october my birthday like that survival mechanism It was like a tiger was chasing me this whole my whole life yeah. of like you gotta survive this tiger this challenge, yeah. but it felt like now finally I was making more money than I was making at the bank. Mm -hmm. I have a home now mm -hmm. after moving many 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 years. I think I moved like twelve times since I've been in Toronto in like twelve years twelve times in twelve years. I have a wife. Mm -hmm. I have a son. And this is my home now. Yeah. And now I'm not running away. I'm not. There was nothing to survive. Yeah. So like my body broke down. Yeah. I didn't know. What I, I didn't to do. know. Like it's everything's okay. Yeah. And it broke down. I was like crying for no reason. I was like, it was just, I didn't know what was happening to me. Yeah. So I started going to therapy and a lot of these things I started to, to understand about myself. You, you got to dig deep. Mm -hmm. You gotta understand why these things are happening. Yeah, because most of the most of my life, it was like I have to survive this. Yeah, I have to thrive. Yeah, and I gotta and 
by myself in many ways. Obviously, I had the support of my dad, my mom, my stepmom, my, my sisters. But but when I moved to Canada, it's it's on your own in many ways. Even if you're with your parents, you gotta you gotta adapt to the new school and the new team and the new kids every time you move schools. Yeah, you move country. So my body was just used to grinding and grinding and surviving onto the next challenge, onto the next challenge. And when there was no more tiger, my body just... <laughs> what to do next? <laughs> didn't know what to do. Yeah. So walk us through that. Okay, so you, you call it the big jump because it was definitely a huge thing. Um, but yeah, in, in what year did you decide to quit the job at Scotiabank? How do you realize that was the right move at the moment or what, what took you there and, and to pursue what you do now, that is being a full-time comedian. <laughs> yes. So in 2014, Huang and I do our first stand-up comedy show, open mic in Spanish. And mind you, you met Juan at Scotiabank? No, I actually helped him get him into Scotiabank. I got like 20, 20, 20 of my friends into Scotiabank pretty much. Oh, okay. okay. And uh, I, I kind of helped Juan get into get his interview and then he killed it and then he went in. But the... 2014. 2014, mm-hmm. Diego and Hector, who have uh, the best Latin party in Toronto called SWA, they organized this it's actually the 10th anniversary in July of the of that party. And they organized a Spanish open mic called Latin Live. And we were good friends with Diego. So he, and he knew that we did comedy. I was doing Vines at the time and videos on Instagram. And oh, so you started doing comedy even before? Yeah. Okay. I started like doing writing what I thought were funny tweets in 2010. Okay. And when Vine came around 2012-13... I I did a lot of vines, got a lot of followers, went viral several times, and then I took those videos to Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. Did got viral there uh, other times as well, and around 2014, the first open mic, mm-hmm. and we did horrible, but people laughed a couple times, and we were instantly addicted. We started doing shows for the growing Hispanic community, 2015, mm-hmm. 16. And just more opportunities were coming from my sketch comedy videos on Vine and Instagram. And we were doing more shows here. We were opening for big comedians. And I did some some sketch comedy videos for Hugo Del Valle of of Coca-Cola. And it was just... It wasn't getting overwhelming, but you could tell that it was was growing. Mm -hmm. And we were excited. It's like... I kind of always see it like, um, I think it's Bill Gates and, is it Bill Gates and Steve Wozniak or, or Steve Jobs and, yeah, Steve Jobs and, and Steve Wozniak in the garage where like they're mm-hmm. just doing it for fun and they just love it. Love it, yeah. And you could tell something big is coming. And in 2016, Juan kept being like, dude, let's fucking quit our jobs. Let's quit. He was also a senior manager in branded marketing. Yeah. I was in a senior manager in wealth management. And he's like, let's quit our jobs, man, and do this. Let's just travel, do shows, fuck it. And I'm like, of course not, man. I'm not going to look at all our parents have sacrificed for us to be here. And look at all all our friends who have uh, um, degrees in Latin America and they're cleaning floors here, you know? Yeah. And it's I felt like it would be a disservice to our parents and all the immigrants. Mm -hmm. Like, we have an incredible job here, you know? We have an incredible situation. Do you think about yourself there, though? 
What do you mean? When you're thinking about your parents, you're thinking about I'm doing a disservice to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing a disservice, but the and I'm but the force I can't explain it. Just something inside. Yeah. It's like, what if I can do this? Because in Latin America, you don't dream about these things. Cause, oh, yeah, no. Because a lot of, you can't, I mean, there's not a lot of role models that do comedy for a living mm-hmm. and do have a good a good life yeah. financially. Or, or basketball or mm-hmm. soccer at times, you know? So you don't dream about these things. But now when you're here, you're like, fuck, what if that could be me? Mm-hmm. So I spoke to my girlfriend, now wife, and I'm like, would you support me if I quit? And she was like, yeah, of course. And we, that was August, August, September, 2016. Yeah. And I, and Juan was like, let's quit next month, bro. I'm like, no, I'm like well, I'll quit and you can quit if you want as well at the same time. April 4, April 5th, because oh, April 4 is when I can apply for my citizenship. Oh. So it was like kind of like a milestone date for me. Okay. It was like six to eight months, six months after. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like six, seven months. So we moved to a smaller place with my wife, girlfriend, then wife. Stopped eating out, stopped Ubering, stopped drinking beers at bars, stopped traveling. Yeah. And it hurts because you don't realize it, but. You hang out with people like you yeah. who have the same money as you or the same mm-hmm. salary. So if you told me, like, let's go for a beer or whatever, I could spend $60 and it's nothing back in the day. Yeah. And and uh, let's go to Dubai for a friend's wedding. Let's go. Let's go to Las Vegas. Let's go. Yeah. No questions asked. So when that happens, all my friends are still doing that, but I can't anymore. Yeah. So it's it's lonely, but it's really important to, okay, you really want this? Mm-hmm. Let's see if you really want this. Yeah. So April, uh, February rolls around. I tell my boss, I walk in, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, Sarah, I'm, I'm quitting. <laughs> and she's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so are you going to the competition? What bank? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm doing comedy. She's like, is this one of your jokes? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, yeah. this is for real. And, and she was so happy for me. She was like, wow. Go do your thing. We'll be here. I gave him like two months notice because mm-hmm. I wanted to leave like really, really the doors open. Uh, you know, everybody was like cheering for me. That's awesome. And everybody was like, save yourself while you can, you know, because yeah. a lot of people, my wife tells me this a lot. A lot of people don't know what they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's so smart of you to yeah. have picked uh kinesiology or yeah. Yeah, something that you love Absolutely. because you don't see yourself in a cubicle for the rest of your life no nope. and it's not as bad as, as just a cubicle because i'm grateful for the seven years i was at scholarship bank it was a great school but yeah and my dad has a saying where Todo cae por su propio peso. everything everything falls into place at the cert at the at the right time yeah so in many ways i'm so grateful that i found juan Mm-hmm. to jump together because it's easier to fail together you yeah know? <laughs> absolutely. but you it's hard to run into crazy fucking people like you to want to do the same thing like what are the odds yeah that i would find a guy who wants to quit the bank and <laughs> and do comedy you know yeah. and we're business partners to this day and best friends so uh february give them the two-month notice April 4, apply to citizenship. April 5th, I quit, uh, like last day. 
April 6th, Juan and I go on a three-week tour to Miami, Costa Rica, and Colombia. Oh, wow. And that was five years ago. Dang. And then from there, it's just been uphill, downhill. Uh, well, been it's been a crazy roller, roller coaster, coaster, but our, our jobs went from like $100,000 a year to six thousand dollars a year <laughs> or ten thousand the thing is we didn't know how much money we would make that first yeah. year but we were so excited about the thrill of this life yeah that it was i mean total transparency i had forty four thousand dollars in savings at the time yeah but it sucked to see your savings go down because you weren't making enough money to and it so it it was uh, not a lot of people are built for it, you know, because yeah, a yeah. lot of people value money or value comfort more safety. than yes. safety. That's what I was. And say. nothing wrong because I mean, if you have three kids, you gotta feed. I understand you got a mortgage. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have kids. I wasn't married at the time. Yeah. So uh, those are the time to take risks. And mm. the thing that really was the defining moment for me was. I thought about it. I'm like, two things. If I have the chance, even if it's slim, mm-hmm. to do what I love for the rest of my life, I have to fucking take yes. it. Yes. And the second one was, yes, my dad and my family have sacrificed so much for me to be here. But really, for me to follow my dreams. And be happy. Because... If if it would have been up to my dad and my mom, my dad would have been a vet, veterinarian or a race car driver or mm-hmm. uh, an athlete. Yeah. But he had to not pursue these things because he became a dad at age 20. Yeah. So he had to, in many ways, sacrifice a lot of things so that we could actually chase our dreams. Yeah. So I was like, man, I'm only living one life. And... The future was so predictable mm-hmm. that I maybe because of my upbringing and so many changes and so many, I thrive on uncertainty. I don't want to know what happens tomorrow. Yeah. I love waking up wanting to wake up and not knowing what's going to happen. I love that thrill. I love Juan and I have discussed about having like set salaries mm-hmm. where maybe we can make a set amount and it would give us more stability because now the company is doing well. But we don't fucking want that because yeah. we love the thrill <laughs> of one month making nothing, the next making a lot because you went and hunted for it. Yeah. So, uh, and then there's the next chapter, which is basically I thought comedy was going to make me happy. Yeah. But then you realize that nothing makes you happy. You have to fight for your internal happiness and your well-being every time. Because mm-hmm. you're just going to find excuses. Oh, you think you're going to – you think – NBA players who love the NBA are not miserable. A lot of them are miserable. Oh, yeah. If you're not happy, if you're not responsible about your well-being and your happiness and your mental health. Mm. So that's when I started reading. When I quit, that's when my my personal growth journey really started. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people had tried to do comedy full-time. And on paper... They were more successful than me, had done more shows, were funnier, probably, yeah, 100%. I knew I wasn't the funniest or the most experienced or the ones who, the one who had on paper the most chance of doing this full time. Yeah. So I had to copy the blueprint Absolutely. of Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. of Tom Brady, of Oprah, 
of Obama, Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, all the thi- it's all the same habits. Mm-hmm. So you can do it in basketball, you can do it in comedy, you can do it in, as a lawyer, you can do it as a banker. Musician, whatever. Musician, yeah. whatever. So it's all that consistency, that accountability, that integrity, sleeping well, eating well, meditation, journaling, mm-hmm. um, reading, learning from other people, success leaves clues, like Tony Robbins says. So I was like, failure is not an option for me. I can't go back to the bank. Mm-hmm. I just can't. Yeah. And if I do, it's okay because that doesn't make me a failure either. But I didn't want to. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I started reading everything. Yeah. And five years later, obviously, the, sh- the plan was to just do comedy shows. And, yeah. But that ended up not being too successful because because the first couple times all your friends come and see you. But yeah, after, they're that, like, bro, yeah. you have any new five minutes? What's going on? Yeah. So we started a public speaking comedy school. Yeah. Which was the real success which actually fed us mm-hmm. put food on the table for the first couple of years and then in the pandemic we rebranded into the rethink which mm-hmm. is our corporate comp- our corporate training and development company yeah and that is what makes us a lot of money these days mm-hmm. where we help companies leverage laughter for better business results business communication and relationships so we do improv for team building speaking with confidence the power of failure humor at work mm-hmm. the efficiency myth why productivity matters so workshops and keynotes for companies and corporate comedy shows yeah and but i would have never guessed it yes so if i wouldn't have taken a shot at being the first the risk. best the yeah the the best comedian I can be I would have never taught public speaking and comedy which it would have never led me to found rethink mm-hmm. which is now what subsidizes what I really love yeah so I do that and that pays for me just doing comedy for fun mm-hmm. and it's so much easier to be creative when you want to do it not because you have to do mm. it Ooh, that's that's a, so that's the journey wisdom right there yeah, oh my God. there's yeah. a lot to unpack there i don't want to i really want to be mindful of your time as well but <laughs> i the one thing you did mention is is passion and i do want to tap into that because what you did what you did you know i, I try to keep this clean but it takes balls like the courage to really that's what walt disney always says that or he used to say that you know dreams can come true as long as you have the courage to pursue them and not a lot of people have that so how how do you think you build that courage at that moment like you mentioned a lot juan was pushing you and your your girlfriend at the time now wife also said she supported you but there still has to be your part in that so how was it for yeah. you? like how would you say other people can find that like Um, other people that already know what they're passionate about or others that might not love their job but still want to explore and find their passion and they just feel they're not in the right spot. How would you, what piece of advice you would give them to have that courage to do what they feel their heart's calling them to and and find their passion? Yeah. So the, well, first of all, quitting your job is not the only answer. Mm-hmm. You could do it part-time as a hobby like we did for three or four years. Yeah. I mean, You could argue that I was doing that for seven years before that. Yeah. So as a hobby, and it took me to a point where now I was in a position, I was already making a little bit of money before I quit. Yeah. The second is that I thought to myself, 
a lot of my friends back home, they will want to do it, but it's hard to make money in Latin America, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But I'm in Canada, so what's my excuse? Yes. I'm like, what's so? What's the worst thing that can happen? Like the actual worst thing that can happen. The, the, literally, the worst case scenario if I quit my bank job and I want to do comedy for a year. Yeah. Well, I have savings, but let's say I didn't have savings. What's, what's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing that can happen is that I have to work at Starbucks. Yeah. That is fucking amazing. <laughs> the fact that Starbucks the is thing, amazing. Yeah. yeah. How privileged mm-hmm. and spoiled are we? That we're coming up with bullshit excuses about not pursuing our dreams. Again, pursuing your dream doesn't mean uh, quitting your job. But what's the worst thing that can happen if you do? Mm -hmm. So that was a big thing for me. Like, what's my excuse now? Yeah. Because, oh, we're so good at coming up with excuses. Absolutely. And then the the third thing, which I think has been, obviously, my upbringing, my, my childhood, where I had to mature. Uh, I've had really good self-awareness, really good discipline my entire life. So I think the third, the third thing is you got to know yourself. You got to do the work. You got to have that self-awareness. Self-awareness is the biggest gift you you can give yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and you got to know maybe, maybe you don't thrive on uncertainty. I do. Mm-hmm. I for sure do. I love it. I yeah. love it. I, do, I love not knowing what's going to happen. And, and knowing Another thing that I learned about myself is that I used to achieve to be happy. Now I happily achieve, like Tony Robbins says. So I have to find that balance because I'm always trying to achieve to be happy, but I got to find the joy in the, in the everyday. Mm-hmm. And I just have this, uh, I think all, all people, well, I, I picked something that I'm obsessed about, that I'm passionate about. Yeah. But it, you got to have the other thing, the, the consistency, the discipline, the force. Mm-hmm. of of you being there and 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 really i i thought this whole time like these fucking people don't even know me the yeah. people who the people who may criticize me or they think is this is dumb or whatever they think i'm a loser by the way those people who thought i was a loser when i quit the bank now they're like oh bro i knew him when he quit the bank i've been <laughs> his friend yeah. yeah 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 oh yeah I, I used to work with them and everything so you're a loser until you're not to these people. I don't even fucking care about what. I mean, nobody think nobody ever told me that I that they thought I was a loser. But a lot of people did disagree with my decision. Yeah. But what I think it's kind of gonna sound a little arrogant or or asshole-ish, But it's like these fucking people haven't been there since day one, anyways. Yeah. So fuck them. And it's my life. They're yeah. <laughs> a lot of these people are trying to project their insecurities on me. Because it didn't work out for you. You think it's not going to work out for me. Yeah. So then that's fine, man. Go go live your life. And, and, I, and I, I wish you the best. But I'm going to I'm gonna chase what I think I'm capable of. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm not capable of it right now. But I'm becoming that person. Absolutely. Like, I think we've talked about this. But a lot of people are like, bro, you became viral the other day. I'm like, yeah. It, yeah, I guess the video went viral. Yeah, I, I went viral. I've been viral many times before, but now I'm I'm more prepared for it because I used to become miserable when I got viral five, seven years ago because I I couldn't get it again, yeah, like immediately again, uh-huh. and that would mess up with me. Now I'm just like the game plan is intact. Still a dad, Being still a husband, yes. still doing my pensando and rethink. I'm still doing what I love, and and um, 
the the work like the the game plan is still the same. Mm-hmm. These people who are who may be thinking, "Oh, you suck, man," or at the beginning, like you suck at comedy. Which I sucked at comedy at the beginning, mm-hmm. and it was hard doing something that you love and sucking at it. Because yeah. like some people come to the show and be like, "Oh, it's good that you're doing what you what you love." Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's oh, when you know. Like, yeah, <laughs> but I'm but you keep coming back. You yes. keep coming back. There's a quote that I'm gonna butcher or whatever, but I think Winston Churchill said it or somebody where it's like the man in the arena. And and basically, it's like, I'm going to say it in my own words, respect the man who's in the arena, taking yeah. punches, mm-hmm. like falling down, getting back up. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to fucking hear any feedback or criticism from the people in the fucking stands. Because if you're not here getting fucking punched and failing over and over again forward, I don't want to hear your fucking advice. Because yes. you haven't done shit. And, and I'm here, like grinding and and if i don't make it or if i don't become whatever i want to become uh or if i fail in your terms because to me failure is not trying not trying yeah so so in your terms it doesn't fucking matter because i'm here and you're just there comfortable on your fucking couch doing nothing Mm -hmm. and oh man it's so easy to criticize like on the couch you know yeah just on the couch Go there, and the and the worst and the crazy part is the people who've actually achieved things and who are out there grinding. They're not criticizing yeah. you because they know what it takes. They're mm-hmm. actually they respect you. Yeah, they respect you. So, uh, I'm happy that I'm an inspiration now to some people. Yeah, but I'm more happy. I'm like, man, that Stefan Dyer from 2016-17 had fucking balls. Because <laughs> if I knew what I had to go through. I, maybe I wouldn't have quit. Yeah. But but I'm happy I didn't. And I stuck to my guns. And now I live a life that I love. That's amazing. Yeah. That is awesome. I'm so happy to hear that, Stefan. There's, there's definitely a lot to dig here. <laughs> a lot. But I really hope that everybody that is listening right now benefits from the, all of those pieces of wisdom that you gave. Because there's, a, there's definitely a lot. And, well, I mean, you kind of mentioned that you thrive in uncertainty, but do you know what's next for you, like, at least for the rest of this year? Let's just keep it as to 2022. What's in your in your agenda? A lot of these things that I'm doing now, I planned them. Okay. Three, four years ago. Yeah. So, in many ways, like my good friend Alejandro Ejea says, uh, life by design. Mm-hmm. So, I've planned a life and I visualized a life where I have... I do what I love every day. Yeah. I, I don't do things that I don't love. And I travel for comedy and I travel to do keynote speeches and I travel to do corporate training and development in the things that I love and, and know. Mm-hmm. So that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. I am, as you know, I've been to these places in the last four months for work and for pleasure. Yeah. And I'm going to travel to Costa Rica, to New York, to other countries to do comedy, to do training and development, to the States, and bringing my wife and my son along the way. Mm, that's Because we want to, my wife loves traveling, and I want them to be a part of the journey as well. Yeah. Because um, a life of achievement without fulfillment is a very sad life. Ooh. So... I want, I want them, I want it because they make me enjoy, you know, mm-hmm. they make me, 
They fulfill they, you. They make me live the day to day. They mm-hmm. make me be present because mm-hmm. it's very hard not to be present with a two year old. Yeah. And uh, if not, I'm just like game game face mode all the time. What's next? More content, more posting, more writing, more shows, more this, and then. And then five years go by and you didn't enjoy it. So yeah. it's really good to share these milestones with them. And and I guess my, my ultimate goal would be to hire someone and delegate the school. The Malpensando mm-hmm. Public Speaking Through Comedy courses that you've done. Because in the pandemic, we could only do it online. But before the pandemic, we did it in person. Yeah. And the the school has level one, level two, level three of these courses in Spanish and English online and in person. But typically it's just Juan and me teaching. Yeah. So I would like to just that be a well-oiled, lean, mean, money-making machine (laughs) (laughs) where I teach one course, maybe a term because I love it. But then we got other people teaching it. Teaching it, Other yeah. people teaching it and somebody selling the courses, a place to teach. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of delegating, a lot of strategy, a lot of writing. But I think it's doable. And I've envisioned that too. And, and I will continue to achieve and continue to grow and continue to enjoy as I've done in the past. And uh, sharing it with people that I love and admire, like my like my wife, my son, all the people who've been on the podcast, like yourself, and and then sharing the the knowledge um, that I've achieved and built over these years with with those people who want to hear it through this podcast, through your podcast as well. That's amazing, Stefan. Honestly, thank you so much for all of that. There's, uh, I love it. I, I, I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to chat this. Uh, now, six months since my interview. Yes. And we were in other spots, and I haven't forgotten about your questions. You had my champagne question. Yes. Uh, I have a couple for you to kind of wrap this Let's up. Let's see. Um, so this is rapid fire. I just want, there's five questions that I wrote that I want you to answer in a sentence or less. Okay. And it's the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. As fast as you can. So the first question is what is the worst piece of advice that you have been given? Worst piece of advice you have been given? Uh, only winning counts. Only winning counts. Oh, I like that. I like that. Okay. Uh, number two, biggest self-made self-made obstacle to achieving a goal for you. B- biggest self-made obstacle to achieving a goal that I've created for myself. So yeah. self-made obstacle that I need to do everything perfectly. Mm. Perfection is huge. Yeah. yeah. We can do a whole other podcast about perfection alone. We can. Also that I have to do everything every day. So I used to try to do like one minute of everything every day, but then I wanted to do like 10 habits every day Yeah, and changing, changing habit every day or five minutes or 10 minutes every day per habit, like switching from one to the other. It's just very daunting. So there's nothing wrong with doing three hours of one thing one day a week mm-hmm. and, and you're still advancing because yeah. you can't do everything every day. Yeah. That's huge. Number three, what is the best piece of advice that you have been given? Just that the was the best. Mm, well, the first one that comes to mind, although I don't know Tony Tony Robbins, but he's my 
biggest mentor, I would say. And Naval, too. Oof, yeah, Naval, <laughs> my boy. So, yeah, escape, escape competition through authenticity, Naval. Mm -hmm. And I used to achieve to be happy, now I happily achieve by, I love by Tony Robbins. I really like it. That, that just brought so much perspective when you mentioned it, like, a couple of minutes ago. It's, it's a very good saying. Number four, what is the thing that you're most scared of? That I will make it to the end of my life thinking that I missed out on important moments with my family, mm -hmm. with, with my extended family. Like, it sucks that I missed, like, a lot of moments with my mom, a lot of moments with my dad, my sisters, my, my nieces. And I don't plan on missing anything with Liam. With Liam, yeah. That's beautiful. Number five, what is the funniest joke you have heard? <laughs> As a comedian, I had to ask <laughs> you. The funniest joke? In uh, shortest, probably. Let me see. <laughs> well, of comedians, I can't remember any of them, but like people doing stuff. I just I just heard one the other day of a guy, of a guy who who went to Burger King, <laughs> and and, uh, and the guy in Spanish in Spanish you say uh, the burger with con todo no póngale de todo con todo yeah but the the guy said can I have a can I have a, a whopper with everyone. <laughs> Can I have a woman with everyone? Oh my gosh! <laughs> and the guy was like, "Like, what do you with that with all of us? Like, what do you?" Mean? I've witnessed yeah. so many of those English, Spanish, Latinos moments. Like with your family? And oh yes, what, yeah. Do you remember any of those with your mom oh, or dad? Yeah, there's one. We went to Disneyland, and not Disneyland, sorry, Disney World. Uh -huh. We were in Orlando, and we were waiting for a bus. Let's say it was, I think it's bus 32 exactly, because I remember. <laughs> that um, the way it wasn't actually my mom, but it was my mom's friend. But uh -huh. they speak English the same. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we were waiting, and then um, my brother approaches the guy. But then she's very outspoken. So the 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 lady, like my mom's friend, uh -huh. uh, is very outspoken. So my brother approaches the the like the tour guy, whatever, and he was like, "Hey, excuse me, sir." <laughs> <laughs> my 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 mom's friend comes and said we are looking for for bus 32 32 <laughs> 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 so and, and then uh, her son said 32 uh, sorry excuse me <laughs> so sorry oh my god we have had so many of those moments and yeah Amazing. i think we we were watching a movie the other day some things like that happen it's just it's just funny whenever it happens it's so authentic it's, oh, totally. it's hilarious and well these are not really rapid fire but this is actually the last question i do have for you um what is your definition of success Definition of success to me is being authentic. Being authentic. Mm. Being who you are along the way. Mm. I, I'm obsessed with winning in many ways, but that's why escape competition through authenticity is my favorite quote in the world because mm. I've done my fair share of, of faking it 
and being becoming other uh, being other people or copying other people's way to success and and I'm a master at adapting because I've had to adapt my entire life I'm a chameleon but then I realized through studying people who have accomplished great things that they do them not by mitigating their weaknesses but by double downing on their, their strengths. strengths yeah but you can't know your you can't double down on your strengths if you don't know your strengths. Mm-hmm. So you got to do the work of self awareness. Yeah. There's a lot of free tests online, like the Myers Briggs, the the fuck. I always forget about this. The, the strength test of I forgot, but um, sixteen personalities, uh, all these, uh, the Enneagram as well. Mm-hmm. So. You get to know yourself. Why are you like this? What are your best things? Yeah. Like my my biggest um, strengths from the strength finder of the name I just forgot is communication, mm-hmm. discipline, futuristic, positivity, and discipline, communication, futuristic, uh, communicate well I don't know then another one and it doesn't surprise you that I'm really really disciplined I do communication yeah. I'm positive I'm jolly so why would I waste my life on doing tech or yeah. <laughs> I'm not good with programming all these things yeah like so or or other things that require me to I don't know uh, execute. I'm not that good with executing, but but I'm good with consistency, discipline. So yeah. So by that, you get to know yourself, and then you can you can have a better life. Like you can, you can have a happier life just by doing the things you're better at. So that's that's what I've done. Living your life authentically, and now I pursue things that are a reflection of me. Mm. Like I met you through your mom through not working to networking, which is an initiative that I invented. Yes. of of helping latinos find jobs that i'm really good at yeah the podcast is a reflection of me comedy is a reflection of me uh communication is something that i love so yeah. that that that's what i do absolutely well stefan again thank you so much for your time it's an honor for me to be here and, and to have you here and to hear from you i always take so much out of this so i hope people also take a lot out of this. And lastly, how is any way that we can support you? So what are your socials and what is any other way that you would like to share that we can support you through your journey? Mm, at Stefan Dyer everywhere. And I think one of the things that I enjoy the most is people just listening to to my podcast, to this episode, because I'm just giving away Mm-hmm. all the knowledge that i have in the world that i've that i've i just gave away i just recorded the productivity machine workshop prop uh part one and two yeah of, of everything i recorded the whole thing yeah and i just got a message of like oh my god i'm doing these changes i'm 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 uh, getting the grocery to like Walmart to bring me the groceries to my house as me as opposed to me going to the supermarket with my three kids. Now I freed up like four hours just because of that. Yeah. Now I can do yoga. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm more rested. I'm actually delegating a lot of things in my job, which is gonna allow me to grow. Yeah. And all like those things mean the world to me because 
I'm super passionate about them. And I'm like, fuck, if everybody knew what I knew, yeah. everybody would be so much better, you know? So, um, but because I because I love the things that I love and I learn them and I share them. Yeah. But if you ask me about, like, programming or tech, I don't care about that, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. But there's people who do. And they should be doubling down on those, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, now you know it's Stefan Dyer, at Stefan Dyer, and all platforms. Once again, thank you, Stefan, and we'll see you again, hopefully, soon. 100%. Gracias. Un abrazo. Muchas gracias. Bye-bye. Gracias por escuchar el Stefan Dyer podcast. Arrivederci, my people.